0: Welcome to the Robin Report podcast series, Radical Times Require Radical Actions, with host Robin Lewis. Each show, we feature stories and guests from the Robin Report online. For more information, visit therobinreport.com. Now, here is your host, Robin Lewis. I'm Robin Lewis, and welcome to the Robin Report podcast series and our ongoing theme, Radical Times Require Radical Actions. Where my guests and I provide unfettered insight into the inner working of the business of retail. I'm your host and founder and CEO of the Robin Report. And if I do say so myself, I don't think there's any other report like it. It is very provocative, uh, it's in your face, uh, with really powerful expert opinions on every major event in the retail and brand worlds. We do connect the dots and enlighten our readers with uh, strategic insights and perspectives that they really can't get anywhere else. So if you're not already signed up for our daily email blast, please go to my website, uh, therobinreport.com, and sign up. It's free. Okay, I thought we should start our conversation with a big picture background for, for our listeners. And the big picture is the retail industry is in the middle of what I would call the perfect storm, which is like three violent weather fronts uh, colliding at the same time. It really is disrupting everything in the old world of retailing and brands. And we are just now in the middle of literally building a whole new world. So the perfect storm, uh, it's, 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 three violent weather fronts, the first being technology and under that primarily the smartphone. The second would be a whole new young consumer culture with an entirely new set of values and a new definition of just what value is. And a big part of it has to do with uh, the fact that they're armed uh, with the smartphone, which when you think about it, Unbelievably, everything in the world is packed into that little device. So uh, at the touch of a key, these consumers can have anything their heart desires, um, which means that the physical store is no longer the point of sale. With the smartphone, the consumer is now the new POS uh, wherever they are, whenever they want something, how and how often. So and the third part of the uh, perfect storm is simply overcapacity. We are overstored, or any way you wanted to describe it, and which, by the way, has been a growing issue ever since it was identified in the early 1980s. Between then and now, on average, uh, retail space has been growing above 4% a year, uh, population growth of maybe 1%. So these major dynamics and, and, and with many offshoots are forcing the fundamental transformation of the old retail and brand models and the explosion of new startup models, including Amazon, I might add, based on st- uh, continues to say that they are in startup mode. So, our theme, uh, Radical Times Require Radical Actions, and for those who don't create radically new visions, objectives, and strategies to get it done, they're simply not going to be around. And by the way, uh, as an aside, the Robin Report is going to be searching throughout the legacy, uh, traditional brick and mortar retail industry to find radical thinkers and doers within those companies who we judge uh, to be entrepreneurs and innovators who are driving their companies uh, successful transformations and the robin report radicals program in collaboration with sap will be unveiling and celebrating those uh, these radicals uh, all during 2020 okay joining me today from the npd group are three of their top advisors in the retail sports and food service industries. We have Don Unser, Retail President, Matt Powell, Vice President, Senior Industry Advisor for Sports, and David Portolatin, Vice President, Industry Advisor for Food. So Don has been on several shows with us, and he he makes this bold statement that data Data is imperative to success in business today, and I would add to that. I think it's almost an understatement Whether you're a startup or a heritage brand a retailer online digital native or omni-channel If you are making decisions without data, you are taking huge unnecessary risks So I wanted to do a deep dive today in, in into what opportunities NPDs data along with their industry expertise and prescriptive uh, analytics, what opportunities they can open for all retailers and brands. So welcome, Don, David, and Matt. And I thought we should start our conversation uh, with some context about the health of the consumer and what's on their minds. As we are heading into the all-important holiday season, And to say the least, there are a lot of distractions for the consumers today, Um, and, and that's an understatement. I mean, the short list of preoccupations and some headaches, I might add, include the 2020 presidential election, the impeachment proceedings, tariffs, immigration, climate change, consumer confidence, the economy in general, all leading into this holiday season. And technology, I don't have to tell anybody, is incredible, and it has elevated consumers' expectations beyond belief. I mean, with a cap cap of a key, they can get anything their heart desires and in a nanosecond. So their demands are ratcheting up more and more in terms of product innovation, experiences, greater accessibility through delivery, personalization, this whole thing about, you know, it's got to be special for me. Uh, Transparency and sustainability is now sticking with particularly the younger consumer cultures. So the face of retail continues to evolve rapidly. And while brick and mortar remains important, the normalization of the number of stores out there across all industries continues. In fact, uh, it's predicted that 12,000 stores uh, will have closed by the end of this year. So our theme, uh, Radical Times, require radical actions. And for those who don't build radical visions and objectives and act radically to get it done, as I've said before, they are going to fail. Okay. now. With our NPD experts, let's focus uh, our attention on today's topic, which is the health of the consumer and what that means for retail now and into 2020. So, Don, um, you've been a guest before, and we are happy to have you back, particularly with your teams. And um, so, what I'd like you to do is give us a little more color on NPD. And what you do, and by the way, how and where does NPD collect the tons of data you have? And by the way, I might add here that uh, NPD, by the way, is the sixth largest market research firm in the world. So, especially uh, how powerful this data is in defining the behavior of the changing consumer and the face of retail. I have to believe there are very few listeners out there who have not heard of NPD or and how important your data is for driving business growth. But give us a little a bit more on that, Don, please.
1: You bet. Hey, Robin, thanks for having us on. I, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate the questions and the ability to, for us to talk about what we're seeing out there with retail. So NPD's uh, a market research firm that's been around for a little over 50 years. Uh, We are privately held, and we try to help clients understand the current landscape of retail and track their performance and also expose opportunity of how they can perform. And the best-in-class retailers are using data and insights, and they're using it in a way that is a competitive advantage to them. we have on uh, with me Matt Powell, uh, who is uh, our foremost uh, advisor and expert on sports, and David Portolatin, who is, uh, uh, tracks our food and restaurant industries. And uh, I think we're going to get a great sense in this conversation, Robin, of, uh, of how the consumer is doing uh, going into this holiday season and, uh, and what we're seeing. One thing I did want to comment on just to kick things off is the consumer is very distracted, Robin, as you said in, in your opening statements. Um, however, we are still seeing the consumer spend and many of our categories that we track and we track a breadth of industries. We track 21 industries totaling uh, a trillion dollars worth of U S consumer spend. Most of that spend is discretionary spend. Um, now, in, in David's case, there's, there's some categories because we have to eat uh, that are not necessarily discretionary, but much of that is discretionary spend. And the consumer is spending at a rate, uh, depending on the, the businesses uh, that we name, uh, on average around 2% growth. So there still is growth in retail. Um, and one last piece uh, uh, on your, your opening statement as well. The consumer is buying things differently. And we're going to probably talk about that a little bit here. Uh, Most of our industries have moved somewhere between uh, 10 to 40% of the sales for those industries are now online uh, or being bought something digital. And with that happening, Robin, and you said this many, many years ago, there's going to be an adjustment to the infrastructure. Uh, A store that's in an industry can't have 30% of their sales move online online and still have a viable model to have as many stores as they have today.
0: Well, thanks for aging me, Don. <laughs> so, it wasn't
1: that long ago that you Years
0: that. and years ago. <laughs> anyway, but you're right on that. Um, anyway, uh, well, I'm glad to hear the consumer is still spending. And um, I think a little in a few minutes we're probably going to get to some uh, uh, more detail on that. <clears throat> as we're heading into the season here. Anyway, thanks for, for all of that, Don, and yeah, in my introduction, I did mention uh, some of the consumers' concerns, and uh, so what is your diagnosis of their health status, so to speak? I mean, you've given us a little bit of that, um, so, so what does it look like going forward as well?
1: We think there's a healthy consumer out there, uh, Robin. Um, the, there are a lot of distractions, like you said, but the macroeconomic factors that are around a consumer of we have more people back to work or to work, that uh, we have households uh, making more money than we've seen in the last 10, 15 years uh, on average. Um, we have uh, th- th- every, every economic indicator that is around the consumer is all healthy. Now, that's not to say we don't have industries that are struggling with growth. Uh, apparel, for example, is an industry that is right. struggling with growth and has been for a couple of years. And I, you're one of the more, most foremost experts on apparel uh, out there. Um, but there's also lots of pockets of growth, and we're going to talk about those here uh, right. with, with the other folks that we have on. But the yeah, consumer I, is I, in a healthy state in my mind, Robin.
0: Yeah. Good. Good. And that's a very optimistic note. And coming from you guys, uh, we can probably bend on it. But David, uh, why don't you give us a little uh, uh, background and, and, and what you're seeing in your particular industry?
2: I would agree with what Don said. The uh, the consumer, from a food and beverage perspective, is healthy. Uh, the the great thing about food is um, it doesn't really matter what the economy is doing. We're going to eat. Uh, we're measuring about 461 billion eating and drinking occasions every single year, and uh, you know the vast majority of those at our home, uh, sourced from our refrigerator, our pantry, our freezer, uh, and about 20% of those are meals that are prepared by a food service professional, most likely at a restaurant, but that would also include, you know, uh, healthcare, K-12 through education, uh, university, dining, those kinds of things. Um, but over the last few months, if anything, the dollar sales uh, on the food service side of the equation have actually accelerated. Now, um, the picture is a little unclear because uh, that dollar growth is really an escalation in menu prices. Uh, and I think we all know the uh, labor struggles that the restaurant industry is having, really, I, I guess, across the entire economy. With the unemployment rate being so low, um, you know, and, and food service for a lot of people is sort of a last resort, and so um, labor is a struggle. Minimum minimum wage laws are up, so there are a lot of uh, margin pressures for restaurant operators. The average restaurant check is up fourteen percent over the last five years, and so that's driving a lot of the dollar growth that we see. Uh, but throughout the summer and really into uh, September. Uh, in October, you still see strong dollar volumes uh, in in the restaurant industry. The underlying customer transactions, however, uh, have been relatively soft, but that's less about the consumer economy and more about shifting life stage demographics in our country right now. Uh, our aging population is shift, simply shifting into a life stage that favors more in-home meal preparation.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, I read somewhere, Matt, where The young millennial and Gen Z generations are eating more um, in restaurants, fast food places, casual food places. Is that correct?
2: Well, you know, m- millennials right now are, are sort of at the peak of restaurant consumption from a life stage perspective. And if you think about it, it's what I call peak career and family formation life stage. We're, we're busier than we ever have been. We're raising kids. We're trying to get promoted at work. And so we value the convenience of outsourcing food preparation to a professional. The problem is millennials entered into that life stage with two key differences uh, compared to past generations. One is a different economic reality. And we can all, you know, look at all the data around the average net worth of a 35-year-old today versus 20 or 30 years ago, and uh, the the increase of uh, health care costs and student debt and things like that that have changed over time that simply restricts the amount of their budget that would go to the higher ticket food service occasion. And also, that generation ushered in a different set of food values. So this is where we get into mm. um, concerns around health and wellness and sta- sustainability and all these other things that right. really favor in-home food production now here is the silver lining in all of this is that emerging generation z i can promise you one thing and I have 30 years of trend data to back this up generation z will eat more restaurant meals next year than they did this year and so on and so on and so on for about another decade so for restaurant operators who want to win uh, over the coming years you better understand generation z because they are the ones that are coming
0: yeah i guess that's uh, what i read Uh, it just got a little mixed up there Uh, David, what about your uh, sector on this topic?
3: Yeah, again, uh, thanks for having us on, Robin. I I echo a lot of what uh, what Don opened up with. Uh, Probably the most important thing to think about in the sports world is that the consumer today is very focused on health and wellness. And David, I think, sees the same thing in his world, Uh, people trying to live healthier lifestyles. but one of the interesting things that's happened over the last decade or so is that the consumer has become less committed to one fitness activity um, and less committed to uh, the, the kind of level of uh, fitness that maybe prior generations had. It's a, it's a much more lighthearted approach to fitness today, and it's very social. Um, we have moved away from going to the gym uh, and working out on a machine and uh, and going home and not talking to anybody. Most people who are going out to, to do fitness today are taking a class, um, and if you're taking a class, you see the same people week over week, and you develop a, a social bond with them, a friendship with them, uh, and that alters, I think, the way we think about uh, how we dress and how we approach that, that, that activity and I think this is really what's given rise to athleisure is the, is this idea of, uh, of of being in a social environment and wanting to uh, to look nice for your friends. Um, and athleisure is very much uh, it has a firm grip on what's happening today in in fashion. As Don mentioned, the apparel business is not very good. The footwear business is not very good, Correct. but athletic apparel and athletic footwear continue to. Uh, perform better than fashion footwear and fashion uh, apparel. Uh, And so uh, I think that's that's an interesting dynamic. And in many cases, you know, we've really gone from having – three wardrobes a wardrobe for work and a wardrobe for workout and a wardrobe for the weekend to having one wardrobe and we can wear uh, athletic athletic athleisure apparel i guess the best way to say it uh to, to many social occasions today that we could not have uh, 10 years ago and i think part of why we're seeing this malaise in apparel is this sort of one wardrobe idea i don't need to have no. three different sets of outfits i can only i can get away with just doing one
0: Yeah, I I, uh, see that all the time, and even not just among the young people. I mean, I can't remember the last time I wore a suit and a tie. Yeah. I mean, I asked Brooks, the CEO of Brooks Brothers, you know, how is his suit and tie business? He said, Robin, he said, it's it's not great. No. So, you know, um, and you're right. I think this, and I've said this before, too, I think the younger generations are more into the style of life than the stuff of life so to speak exactly yeah Yeah. so so it's a mixed picture out there um i don't know if there are any clear winners or not uh and you know don you mentioned this earlier that you guys um another unique perspective that retailers and brands can get from you guys is that you have a unique pers- uh, perspective because uh, across all consumer facing industries because you track as you said 21 different general merchandise uh, industries so which allows you to have insight across all industries and therefore trends including the categories performing well and those laggards um, who need who need to step up their game so uh, Don can you take us a little bit further into what you're seeing across retail?
1: And, sure. Yeah.
0: Winners and losers and stuff. Yeah.
1: You bet. You bet. Uh, one thing I think it's important to, to understand is how we, uh, we, we not only have ideas and thoughts about what's happening in retail, we have the data that backs up what we think. Uh, and that's what makes us unique in terms of being advisors to the top retailers, the top restaurant operators, the top brands, uh, the top food ingredients in the world. Um, So we get data from retailers at the point of sale level um, from many of the retailers, most of the retailers in the industries that we cover. Uh, We also do about 14 million completed surveys a year in these industries to give us the color around why a consumer is buying what they buy. And then finally, we have a third data asset that is receipts, that is kind of a hybrid between the two. Uh, it's a passive collection uh, methodology where we will look at receipts. We get them a whole host of different ways. Um, we will code the receipts into the industries. And we also know something about the individual that gives us the receipts. So we're able to tie all that together. So uh, it's important to know, Robin, kind of what we're looking at, because um, there are lots of people out there prognosticating, if you will, on where retailers been, where retail's been, where it's going, um, and what's happening with the consumers, but we have amazing levels of data that allow us to do that. And we not only have the store data, but we also have any other channel that that uh, that the consumer is interacting in. Uh, if they're interacting online, if they're interacting in buying online and picking up in-store, if they are... Uh, having a meal delivered to them if they 're having a meal picked up in a restaurant and digitally ordering it, we look at all of those things, and that 's what makes us uh, relevant to to the industries uh, that we serve well,
2: some yeah. other
1: uh, yeah uh, yeah, some other uh, trends that we're we 're seeing out there um, we 're seeing industries uh, or categories I should say that are growing because they help consumers make their lives easier. Um, and a perfect example of that is the last two years, we have seen a product called the Instapot, Instant Pot really take off. What? And the ins- yeah, this is a – basically, uh, Robin, this is a uh, 50-year-old plus technology of a pressure cooker with a computer on the front of it.
0: Unbelievable. And,
1: and it came to market about two and a half, three years ago. Um, it, it wasn't under one of the big brands, um, and it is now uh, has a household penetration above 20% in wow. the U.S. And wow. this product will uh, will do what a a a slow cooker does, for example, um, in one tenth of the time. Um, so it saves it saves uh, whoever's in charge of doing the meals at home. It saves them time, and we see that over and over again of all kinds of things that are categories that are resonating with consumers, uh, if you save a consumer time or you you take any stress out of their life, uh, you will certainly uh, be rewarded with incremental sales. So that's just one trend we're seeing. We have all kinds mm-hmm. of trends that we see, and uh, M- Matt and, and David can go on and on about uh, all of these, these types of uh, consumer-born trends that are out there.
0: Well, yeah, I mean... It goes all the way back to what we were talking about earlier, about what what um, David was actually talking about, you know, the Gen Zs are going to, it's about convenience, it's about, yeah, time is their luxury in many ways. So, yeah, Matt, could you uh, kind of expand on that in your particular area?
3: Sure, I think uh, we're we're consumers here in, in the sports world are very focused on versatile products, products that can do more than one thing. Uh, they are not looking for the pinnacle product that's a single use or rarely used kind of product. Those those uh, those are, they're moving very quickly away from the products that can be, uh, say, a jacket that can be worn in, in various kinds of weather because it's uh, it's a three in one jacket that allows you to uh, take parts in and out. Um a boot uh that looks fashionable but is waterproof um and can be worn to work in a casual environment um or can be worn on a on a light hike. Uh this idea of versatility is really, really important right now.
0: Yeah, I you know, so you know, David, you talked about health and wellness and sustainability, home in-home food prep and so forth. Um what are some of the other trends in
2: well i I was glad to hear Don mentioned the instapot i mean it, it was the perfect yeah, product yeah. at the perfect time, and it 's really a nexus of things that are happening all at the same time that enable something like that to take off the way that it did. Uh, I it mentioned millennials saying? in career and family formation life stage yeah. um, you know and, and they had a different set of food values, so the food values are you know, I want to eat real food, authentic food, minimally processed food. I want to shop the perimeter of the grocery store. I want to actually cut back a little bit on what I'm uh, spending at restaurants. But add on to that, none of them are prepared to be Michelin star level chefs in the home. Uh, a lot of them do not know how to cook. They weren't raised to cook. Uh, <laughs> enter in something like the Instapot that enables me to put a center of the plate protein, some vegetables. I can go to the center of the store and I can uh, spice that up with some you know, bold, ethnic-inspired flavorings, uh, sauces and seasonings and so forth. And then uh, I can leave the house and control that from my smartphone while I'm at work during the day and have this authentically prepared meal that I feel good about, that meets all my goals for health and wellness and all these other things, but I didn't personally have to get involved and dirty up a lot of pots and pans in the kitchen to cook. So it's, it's absolutely the convenience thing that Don mentioned. It fits a long-term trend that we've seen in the home of meal simplification, Where, you know, 30 years ago, dinner was a center-of-the-plate protein, a couple of sides, an appetizer, maybe a roll, uh, and a dessert. And now it's whatever dish comes out of that Instapot uh, and um, maybe a bottle of water. Uh, So things have become simpler. Uh, It's all about speed. It's all about convenience. And it enables that convenience in a way that also uh, supports people's ability to make choices that they feel good about.
0: Where where do you buy one of these?
2: Oh, just about everywhere. Uh and Don, uh, you know, you feel free to chime in there. But uh, you know, pretty much uh, all of mass retail, uh they're even on the grocery store aisle. Uh you know, anywhere that sells kitchen electrics, uh you can you can find these uh multi cookers uh, to use the generic term. Uh, Instapot is a brand. Um but the, and there are other things. You know, we're seeing the air fryer. Uh, start to emerge. We're even seeing sous vide machines, which you think of sous vide as this really high art culinary form of uh, French cooking. But what it's really doing is enabling the same thing. They can be Wi-Fi controlled by your uh, uh, smartphone. And what it does is it enables you to cook a piece of, uh, you know, typically an animal protein, a steak, a piece of fish or something, and cook it to perfection without having great culinary skill and all controlled uh, remotely uh, if necessary. So, you know, all kinds of those uh, devices are enabling uh, convenience in the home. That's why, you know, we forecast over the next five years, uh, in-home prepared meals actually will outpace uh, restaurant prepared meals. Um,
0: So... What about the Gen Zs, though? You said a little earlier. That the
2: Gen Zs are going to be the ones that, that are going out to restaurants more, and that's purely a function of life stage. Okay. Uh, this has always been true of people at that age of life. Uh, it always will be true, uh, and we can expect Gen Zs to commit more and more of their spending, uh, more and more of their share of stomach, which is an industry term that we use in food, uh, to the food service side of the business. And, but it's all about convenience for them, too, and that's where we get into the frictionless food experience. They're going to access uh, that food on their smartphone, uh, whether they're picking it up or whether they're having it delivered by a a DoorDash, Uber Eats, or Grubhub. um, It's still going to be convenience, you know, faster, easier uh, at the center of the equation there.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the more you guys talk, (laughs) the more it is very clear that uh, data is imperative to break down uh, the complexity of all these Emerging trends, trends, I mean, you simply have to have it. So, um, you know, we, we, we're talking here about some of the emerging trends. One of the, one of the things that um, uh, you mentioned on Grubhub, you mentioned Grubhub, uh, David, and um, I also read were these uh, food delivery, restaurant delivery uh, businesses, are not making any money.
2: Right. Well, this is where, you know, this this presents the possibility of a real transformation of the brick-and-mortar restaurant landscape. Now, you guys in retail uh, have are way down the road on this with reduced uh, store counts and you know, network optimization, and, and the restaurant industry is late to the party on that. Um, but here 's what 's going to happen because Robin, as you said, delivery is being subsidized right now in part by gross margin from the restaurant operator in part by investment uh, investors in these companies that are you know uh, supporting these third party delivery models and then, and then in part by the consumer who 's paying a premium for the deliver- for delivery and in my mind um, that 's not really sustainable now it 's growing growing by double-digit rates when nothing else in the restaurant space is, and so that's why there's a lot of uh, attention for it, but it's also why you're seeing a lot of investment into redesigning the brick-and-mortar model, and so you see companies like Kitchen United, which is a shared kitchen space that even big established brands can come into and co-locate with other brands, so you have a a sort of a common back-of-the-house a sort of a common front of the house that is really not for consumers. It's for expediting orders to delivery drivers. And then everybody sort of carves out their own proprietary space in the middle. And if something like that can really lower the cost basis and present a new economic model uh, that unlocks delivery uh, as a profitable uh, venture, then that's where I think you'll really see uh, delivery take off.
0: Do you think a part of that might be driverless uh, robots
2: <laughs> yeah, they're talking about that now. Uh, I even see where um, you know people have talked about drone delivery. You know, d- drone yeah. delivery doesn't work in your you know fifth floor uh, apartment window, but um, they're even experimenting with concepts where the drone can drop something onto the roof of a nearby, uh, say, Uber driver uh, to finish the last leg of the delivery. Um, you're seeing autonomous vehicles being tested uh, in, um, uh, I believe it's in Scottsdale right now. Uh, for food delivery, you know, all these things are pretty yeah. futuristic. It, it it remains to be seen whether any of them actually uh, becomes mainstream viable. But what's clear in all of this is that the American consumer places a tremendous value on that last mile delivery. And I, I think my colleagues on the phone would would echo that because I think we see that in all of the industries that we track, whether it's yeah. food or whether it's sneakers. People are saying, "Bring it right to my front door."
0: I know it's crazy, it is crazy, you know now, now in the in, well in the grocery area uh, they're talking about is it walmart that 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 will take it and put it right into your refrigerator
2: um, yeah, the, uh, yeah the yeah the the, the smart key uh, approach where you authorize on a limited basis uh, security credentials to allow people to actually come in and unpack the groceries
0: that's incredible <clears throat> well let's move from food to uh Matt, uh, what's going on in all of these areas? Uh, you know, the the as as uh, David said, the the, the food business, the restaurant business, is behind the apparel business. <clears throat> so, you know, bopus uh, buy online, buy online, pick up in store, and so forth. Give us a little uh, expanded commentary on your space.
3: Sure. Well, I think, it, 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 it's echoing some of what David said, uh, one of the uh, interesting things we're seeing in the sneaker business right now is, is a push on the consumer for uniqueness. Um, and they want products that uh, are similar to what their friends are wearing but have a different label. And so we're seeing the small brands, brands like Fila and Champion and Puma and Vans, uh, growing much faster than the marketplace. Um, and this push for uniqueness is also pushed for speed. Uh, the, the consumer wants products faster than they've ever had them before. Uh, We're not relying on one style to take us for months and months and months of growth. Uh, it really is forcing the, uh, the brands and the retailers to, to create unique spaces, or constantly changing spaces. Um, and then, again, back to your question, the consumer is using their, their cell phone to learn where these products are. Uh, to learn which retailers have them, what the prices, best prices are, uh, and then they are visiting those physical stores. So the, we talk a lot about blended retail now, um, as opposed to omnipresent retail, or, or uh, where we're really thinking along the lines of um, the, the the entire transaction between physical and, and uh, digital is uh, is all wound up in itself, uh, and there isn't one path; it's many paths. Correct. Uh, and we have to be prepared with things like BOPUS and now there's a reserve online pickup in-store where you're not, your credit card's not getting hit until you, say, hit it, um, but the product is set aside for you uh, as you arrive at the store. Uh, we're seeing uh, obviously retailers who are taking back returns for other retailers, yeah. I know. Uh, as a way of bringing in traffic and so forth. So the the paradigm, the 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 platforms that we have grown up with, um, we we've learned to understand are are really breaking down now. And and I think brands and retailers have to be very open to uh, to all possibilities of doing uh, business with the consumer.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, the word omnichannel is 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 a miss. Uh, it, it, it's, it it isn't the appropriate definition of what's really going on today, which you just mentioned. Everybody is operating on everybody else's platform. I mean, yeah. you've you got Amazon and Kohl's. You've got uh, Nordstrom. Uh, you can pick up, wait a second, you pick up Macy's stuff in Nordstrom, or maybe I got that wrong. But anyway, you get the point, and, and you guys are way into it. Um so, and you know, and Rob,
1: Robin, the interesting point on that is that the biggest winner in all of this is the consumer.
0: Yes, the, con-
1: the consumer has access to an amount of products they've never had access to. They have access to product being delivered to them at a at a at a fraction of the cost back in the mail order days. For example, um, the consumer has totally won in this entire retail revolution that has happened and will continue to win um so it's i think that's an important point to be made in all of this as well
0: (laughs) you know this just occurred to me and i've used this kind of uh parallel before but if you think about it i think there's eight billion people on the on the face of the earth and imagine when 3d printing uh becomes accessible and affordable uh for every person we're gonna have eight billion supply chains
1: <laughs> isn't that interesting yeah 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 anyway. and, and yeah so there, there's also there's also another thing that's happening that's kind of interesting um robin and that's uh, we, we call it the retail sub economy and it's all these these different ways that consumers want to shop for example um you know, and these models were ten, you know, hundred million dollar models. They're now multi billion dollar models. So this is like the consignment models that are out there. Yep. The the thrift models that are out there. Uh, two of my my uh, 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 my adult teenagers are uh, bought all of their back to school through thrift this year. Wow. Um, Etsy, which is which is uh, craft. Um, and now you see retailers trying to partner with some of these models, uh, which is just absolutely fascinating. Um, so the consumer is in full control, which is, which is really fun, uh, to watch as a retail operator, whether on the restaurant side or the retail side, it's, it's a challenge because, uh, places where you have made profit are all under challenge right now.
0: Correct. And uh, the variable costs of doing business have are expanded dramatically. So, yeah. So the, the financial models are also changing. Yes. Um, okay, on to another subject here. So, yeah, many uh, of the innovations of the retail radicals that we – you know, we launched that program last year. And um, many of their innovations really originated uh, in or were f- facilitated by e-commerce and online capabilities. So uh, anywhere, you know, from AI to personalization to direct-to-consumer, digital natives. Um, so as hard as it is to imagine... We are seeing the maturation of e-commerce. So what does the retail landscape look like after the disruption as we head towards, I think, Don, you coined this to quote-unquote normalization. And Don, you want to kick that
1: off? Yeah, you bet. So we've been talking about maturation of e-commerce for some time. And I will tell you the most forward-thinking clients of ours, either on the retail side or on the brand side, all have a point of view at what point does the growth being driven by e-commerce start slowing down and maturing. And we're already seeing it in some subcategories in some industries. Other industries are kind of at the, in their early stages of this. And there's a lot of factors to that, uh, Robin. But the reality is is that uh, many of these retailers, it's very expensive for them to ship something to you versus you coming to drive and pick something up in their store um, where they have sunk costs of labor and rent and utilities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what we're finding <clears throat> is the best – what the consumer is saying to us is we really like these models that have stores and e-commerce and blend the two together. And the best-in-class people that are doing that, of course, are Walmart, Target, uh, Best Buy is doing a great job of that. On the apparel side, uh, Nordstrom and Macy's do a great job of that. So it's going to be interesting to see, but that appears to be the winning retail model from the consumer's point of view
0: yeah um it'll be interesting to see and you're right it, it, it there are different there are gonna be different levels of the percentage of online business versus physical business uh depending on on the the, the industry uh, so it's it will be very interesting to see where that where that ends up but uh even though e-commerce may be, be maturing a bit, um, the C-level guys I talked to still really don't have a handle on where that percentage is going to end up. And, you know, if they did have, if they did know that, uh, they could build strategy around it. But so it's, you know, everybody, we're in the middle of it and nobody really has an idea of where it's going to end up. But David, you want to talk about uh, the food industry in this?
2: Absolutely. And as Don alluded to, some industries are more mature than others. In the food industry, we're still in the developmental stages. Uh, When we look at the restaurant space, for example, uh, we see about 6% of all restaurant orders right now are what we call digital. In other words, they were placed either on a smartphone uh, app or on a website. Um, But over the last five years, total customer visits to restaurants have averaged about a negative two-tenths of a percent uh, rate uh, per year. Uh, Over that same time period, those digital orders have increased by 23% uh, per year on average. So this is clearly the one area of acceleration. And when you look at restaurant chains that are winning today, they're the ones that are driving traffic through that uh, mobile app. And a lot of it, as Don described in the rest of retail, It's about pickup. Uh, We talked about earlier the problems with delivery from an economic standpoint, Uh, but the digitally ordered carryout or takeout business um, is is booming. Uh, It's the fastest growing part of the restaurant space by far, and I think what you're going to see is this too is going to cause a a reinvention of the brick-and-mortar restaurant landscape because you cannot just take uh, all this influx of digital orders and pour them into an existing box uh, without creating some disruption. Now, th- this famously happened to Starbucks a couple of years ago that they talked about on their earnings report. Their digital app was so successful that it disrupted uh, the normal flow of operations in-store, and they blamed that on missing earnings uh, on a- on this one particular call. Wow. I think you've seen uh, Chipotle uh, CEO Brian Nickel has spoken publicly about this, about how um, they have reengineered certain stores to have a separate make line uh, for those digital orders, a separate pickup spot in the restaurant for those digital orders, because the last thing you want is your loyal in store customer you know waiting in that line, and some digital order guy comes in and cuts right in front of him and gets his food and walks out um, that 's not a good recipe for yeah. making your customers happy, so they 've learned to compartmentalize those things within the same uh, box which which requires. You know, a real uh, re engineering of your whole operations uh, has implications for the back of the restaurant, the front of the house. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of rethinking of restaurant operations and how that goes forward. And I think we're seeing the same thing on the grocery store aisle. Look. The brick-and-mortar grocery store is never going to go away. Uh, some people like to go to the grocery store. It's an enjoyable experience for them. Uh, but what happens within the four walls of those grocery stores is going to change dramatically. Why should I ever go shopping for toilet paper again? There should be a, an algorithm-driven auto-replenishment model where my toilet paper shows up, hopefully just in time, or maybe a little better than just in time. <laughs> and if that's true, then how are we going to repurpose that space inside the grocery store? And so we're encouraging, uh, you know, food and beverage manufacturers uh, to rethink what is the purpose of that store? How can we engage consumers experientially? How can we teach them to solve for these problems that they're facing in home that demand the convenience? Um, you know, how do we how do we show them how to get the best possible thing they can get out of their Instapot? You know, I think these are the kind of things that you're going to see happening uh, in store more and more often on the retail side.
0: Listen, Amazon is already, uh, you know, delivering uh, staples like a light bulb. I had a friend who went home one night, there's a package on his front porch from Amazon with a light bulb in it which he had not ordered. So he was he's sitting in the living room and uh, an hour later and a, a light goes out in the kitchen. So, you know, they, they are able over time you're right, to track this cycle of, you know, toilet paper, paper towels. So you don't have to go to a store for that. So, Matt, uh, expand a little bit on this uh, maturation topic in your…
3: Yeah, it's really interesting, uh, Robin, that uh, 20 years ago when the e-commerce was still uh, in its infancy, uh, people thought nobody would buy shoes online uh, because of the fit issues and and so forth. And it turns out that our data shows that about 30% of all shoes last year in the U.S. were sold online. It's one of the most uh, penetrated businesses. And, and I think there's a couple of real interesting reasons why. First of all, the physical store today, uh, and always has been a problem, are always out of sizes and colors. Uh, they never have a, a complete stock on everything. Uh, and if so if you want a size and the store is out of it, the Internet has that. If you see a shoe in green and you want it in blue and the store doesn't have it, the Internet has that. Um, and I think that has driven a tremendous amount of business to uh, to, to e-commerce. Uh, And then uh, the other uh, really, really important uh, story here is the uh, direct-to-consumer side of the business. Um, The athletic shoe brands, in particular, have really pushed very, very hard to grow their direct-to-consumer businesses, and it's a significant part of their overall results uh, every quarter. Um, and this, this, of course, has driven more more business to the Internet as well. So we think that the, we will continue to see growth here, uh, but the growth rate is definitely going to slow. Uh, the, the kind of meteoric growth that we saw uh, is, uh, is a thing of the past, but we, we ex- still expect to see uh, further penetration in, in footwear. Uh, so I think it's, it's a different kind of environment. And, you know, I, I, someone asked a question earlier. It's like, I, I think every industry is going to have its, its um, a mature number. It's not going to be one number for all industries. I think it's, it's going to be a number that uh, is unique to every industry. And then one other sort of forward-looking thing is maybe in 10 years we're not even talking about this topic anymore because, it, as, as Don said, we're, everything is blended. Yeah. For, for instance, let's talk about BOPUS, uh, buy online, pick up, and store is that an online purchase or a physical store purchase? Well, it's really both. Uh, and this is how the two things start to get wound up together. If I'm in a, in a store and I order a product uh, on their uh, kiosk and have it sent to my house, is that an online purchase or an in-store purchase? So I, I think the, 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 the lines are going to blur between the two, and, and maybe in 10 years we're not even talking about them as if they're two distinct things.
0: Well, you know, and the other phenomenon is that uh, it, 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 the space – Necessary in the physical world is shrinking And you know You got Nordstrom out there testing this Nordstrom local where they don't have A stitch of merchandise And you got the other traditional stores Who are thinking about And understanding That you know They're going to have showroom Kind of type uh, Physical stores Where you might not have the full, full Inventory there So I know, it's kind of like the service merchandise model, uh, which was before it's time done.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. It it really was. Uh, And I think what we're going to see, Robin, and one of the things that we try to help clients think about is it's really breaking down into three pillars. Uh, There's going to be companies that do the customer acquisition or demand generation, There's going to be companies that do the actual transaction, um, the the retail transaction. And then there's going to be companies that do the fulfillment. And the companies that were in all three of those pillars 10 years ago, and the companies that are going to be doing that going forward, might be very different companies. And it's going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, One thing that we're looking at pretty closely this holiday is – Every retailer in the world that has stores would love to be able to press the reset button and kind of start over and say, if I were to come to market today between my online assets and my store assets, and I were to start from scratch, what would I do? Yep. And we're actually going to see that this holiday <clears throat> with a brand that's been around for many years that dominates a category, and that's Toys R Us. Toys R Us, unfortunately, um, went out of business, uh, uh, went, uh, filed bankruptcy, et cetera, and they are coming back this holiday with multiple models of consumer interaction, including experience, including uh, another retailer hosting their website uh, and fulfillment for them, uh, including a demonstration model with Beta, who you've talked about before, um, so this is going to be really interesting to see a retailer come back that uh, can press the reset button and engage with the consumer in today's world. And will the consumer engage with it? It's going to be fascinating to watch.
0: Yep. It's a whole new world emerging. So, you know, we got time for one more question. And this, of course, it's a very timely one um, as we're about to head into the holiday season, uh, which... <laughs> Actually, some say it's already started, which starts earlier every year. Anyway, can you guys comment on how retail, you, th- how you think retail's position for this year? And if you can, who do you see will be the winners uh, and losers, if you care to mention that? And if there's any major difference from prior years? And finally, what advice do you have for brands, retailers, and food service operators to – optimize their business this year. Matt, you want to open up with that? i
3: will be glad to. Uh, you know, I think uh, with, with the short season this year, uh, six fewer days, one fewer weekend, one less weekend than we had a year ago, um, it's going to force more business to the internet uh, for convenience um, I think those retailers who uh, make the shopping experience as convenient and as frictionless as they can are going to su- are going to succeed here. I think gift cards are going to be more important than ever because it's a simple purchase. You can make it online and, and uh, be over and out in a couple of clicks. Uh, so th- I think w- convenience is going to be a very, very important topic. Um, I also expect this to be a very promotional holiday. I think the retailers are, are going to panic because of the yep. short short window uh, and we're going to see them uh, putting many more products on sale earlier and more deeply discounted uh,
2: than we have had in the past.
0: So David,
2: you know uh, food and beverage consumption behavior is, is not seasonal. Unlike uh, what my colleagues are are tracking, you know, we we eat uh, every day uh, regardless of whether it's a holiday or not. What does change is that uh, around the holidays, we actually, uh, you know, very traditionally, uh, spend a lot of time at home and prepare a lot of meals at home. Uh, we are still dramatically uh, large percentages of us are going to eat our uh, holiday meals either at home or at someone else's home. What is changing is that we're increasingly gifting restaurant meals to other people in the form of gift cl- uh, cards around holiday season. So I would expect restaurant operators to want to try to take advantage of that um this season as they have been increasingly over the past few years.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Don, you want to wrap it up?
1: I'm happy to wrap it up. <clears throat> so uh Marshall Cohen, who's our, our chief retail uh advisor, uh he has uh, publicly come out and said we're looking across all the businesses uh for retail to be uh somewhere between two point seven and three point two percent. So about a half a point swing in between that prediction. And, uh, in the past, we've been pretty accurate on that. Uh, MasterCard's coming in at 3.1 and NRF, uh, a little more conservative this year than they have been in the past at 3.8 to 4.2% growth. So it's going to be a solid holiday. I think there are going to be winners and losers. Um, I think that, uh, we're going to continue to see e-commerce growth. It's just so much convenience. Um, and, uh, Certain categories are going to pop. Uh, certain other ones uh, are going to continue to be challenged. It's going to be interesting to see if apparel comes back this year and right. gets back on the gifting list. Robin, uh, that will be interesting to see. Uh, with video games moving more and more online uh, and being being um, uh, distributed electronically or digitally, that's going to be interesting to see what the impact of that is. Electronics will still be hot. Uh, it was an Apple holiday last year, um, uh, between the, uh, the wireless headphones that they have, uh, the iPad and the Mac. So, um, we'll see. It's, I think it's going to be a solid, uh, holiday for the consumer, uh, this year, but the timing and the cadence is going to be very different.
0: Yeah. I would agree with Marshall's, uh, projection, um, you know, which isn't the six percent that we're hearing from some other people. Anyway, right. That is a wrap, and this was very fascinating for me. And I you know, I really do wish we could go on for at least another hour. I was honored to have all you guys you're brilliant, and you are truly informed experts. And I must say I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners did too. So thank, thank you, you so Robin. much, Don. Thank you, Don and Matt and David. And by the, way, by the way, for our audience to, to learn more about holiday 2019, visit uh, npd.com, and they're going to have frequent updates on the season as we go forward. Uh, and you can also sign up for their blog on the site, so uh, you will be able to stay in touch with Don, Matt, and David that way. So thanks again, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Robin Report podcast series. If you want to find out more behind today's program and what's next, be sure to check out therobinreport.com and sign up for our email list in order to be at the forefront of what's new in the retail and consumer product industry. Join Robin Lewis again for another edition soon.